3rd, who visited the uh, Britain prime minister and addressed the nation after passing the passing of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. Now, if you're just tuning in or you're just joining us on the Facebook and YouTube live stream, Britain's new king expressed gratitude for an outpouring of support for the queen. He talked about her warmth, her humor, and her long life of service. He says uh, his life will change with new responsibilities now as king. Not as much time for charity work, he mentioned. He talked about how his wife, Camilla's role, will also be changing. And uh, King Charles also mentioned the queen will soon be laid to rest. Here with me in studio here at WBEZ is Laura rodriguez Pressa, who covers the Latino community for the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to Reset, Laura. Hello. Thank you for having me. Also here is Alex Nitkin, who is now a reporter with the Better Government Association. Welcome back, Alex, and congrats. Thanks so much. And Paris Schatz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Hey, Paris. Hey, Sasha. So, folks, you were listening along to King Charles' remarks a few moments ago. Uh, what are your thoughts, Paris, on, on this historic moment for the well, monarchy? Well, I'm sure he misses his mother terribly, and this is kind of morose to say, but part of him has to be like, finally, after 70 years, my, my birthright here, I get to I get to be king. Uh, you know, Charles has always been kind of a, a progressive type of leader. He's been big into causes of uh, climate change. Uh, so I, you heard him say there, well, my charity work is going to have to go by the wayside because I have my duties as king. But um, as head of state, I, th- I think he'll probably take that mentality uh, to lead the U.K. But it is mostly a ceremonial position. The head of state does get to pick the prime minister, technically, but we know that's not how they do it. Uh, it's a formality. You know, the, the prime minister is voted uh, um, by by parliament. So right. like Liz Truss, the, the new prime minister. But, it, you know, this also recalls to mind this fascinating, wonderful visit the Queen had to Chicago in 1959. She landed uh, on on the Britannia, the yacht, at uh, what's now known as Queen's Landing, just west of, uh, just east of Buckingham Fountain, Mayor Daly. There's all these iconic images of Mayor Richard J. Daly taking her around in, in a car mm-hmm. and showing her the city. And they're going down Michigan Avenue and they're going to the Conrad Hilton to have filet mignon. Maybe they stopped over uh, at uh, his house in Bridgeport for a little snack or something. But <laughs> it, it's such a wonderful history, uh, and, um, it, and hopefully uh, maybe King Charles pays a visit to Chicago as part of his official state duties one day. Did you notice the emphasis on William there? No no real title mention for, for Harry? No real title mention for Harry. Yeah, I thought he was going to say something like, we get it that uh, you know the royal uh, life is not for everybody because there's a history in that family of yeah. folks that, that left for love or for other reasons. But yeah, yes, but I, I was surprised that he kind of, he, he did mention Harry and Meghan and, and, and that's yeah. all the tabloid uh, references, you, you know, and he, he, he paid homage to it. He said, I have serious duties to do, but also, yes, Harry and Meghan, I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Queen Elizabeth's death is, is certainly the top news story across the globe, as we know. But since it is Friday, we've got business to do. So let's dive into some of the biggest stories across Chicago and Illinois. Time for the weekly news recap. Chicago aldermen are advancing a proposal to protect people who travel to the city for an abortion, gender-affirming care, fertility treatment, or birth control. Yet another Chicago alderman is calling it quits. Alderwoman Susan Sedlowski Garza just announced on Facebook she's not running for re-election. Longtime 21st Ward Alderman Howard Brookins Jr. announced today he is retiring at the end of his term. We've got a lot to talk about. Let's also give a special shout out to the folks watching us break down the week's news live right now on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube. Hello. All right, Alex, jumping over to you now. The wave of departures from city council continued this week. (laughs) It's a little hard to keep track at this point, but try to bring us up to speed, if you will. 
Okay, so speaking of scions of uh, dynasties... He pulls are... out his list. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Howard Brookins is the latest in this long parade of, of either resignations or announcements of non-re-election that we've heard from the city council. Howard Brookins um, uh, represents the 21st Ward, far south side. I would say this one is not quite as surprising as maybe some of the others. He's been around for 20 years, since 2003, or will have been around for 20 years. He's the son of um, former state senator Howard Brookins Sr., uh, he is, I think, not surprising in part because he has, like a lot of his colleagues, a side gig. He's a trial lawyer. He actually ran uh, for the bench to be a judge earlier this year and came up short, surprising a lot of folks. Um, but he is now the, by my count, as I bring up my spreadsheet, 11. Uh, he is the 11th sitting alderman to announce he's not running for re-election. Wow. That's on top of three others who resigned or were forced to resign midterm. Um, I did a little math that is 199 years of collective experience that uh, will leave the city council. My goodness. Um, it's a whole other conversation about why they're leaving. You know, like with, with Brookins and, and Garza, the 10th Ward Southeast Side Alderman who we heard about, um, if you ask any of them individually, they're going to say, well, this is just about me personally. I want to spend more time with my family and all that. Um, I think that there can be a temptation to laugh that off a little bit. Sure, that's what they all say. Um, something <laughs> must be different this year. But I, I think that we should allow them that there is something to that. It's been a pandemic. It's been social unrest, higher crime that these folks have had to preside over. It's an extremely rigorous job. And uh, a lot of them, my sense is they really are truly and genuinely exhausted. Yeah, well, Brookins had some colorful language about Chicago politics and the many, quote, backstabbers that he's encountered, didn't he? Right. He was talking about, and I think maybe one of the most memorable episodes of his time as alderman was in the the mid-aughts after he was sort of a more junior alderman. There was this long saga. He was trying to get a Walmart to come to his ward. It failed by one vote after, you know, some other of his colleagues had said that they were going to support him. I imagine that that's a huge part of what he was talking about. It led to a big rift between him and organized labor, made his relationship with Mayor Richard M. Daley pretty rocky. But since then, he's really settled in and become a pretty loyal, uh, quiet foot soldier for the two mayors who he has served under since. Uh, He is a committee chair. He generally almost always votes alongside Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And it's just another one of these kind of Older guard, generally loyal mm-hmm. uh, aldermen who are going to, even if Lightfoot is reelected, she's probably going to have a much more uh, yeah. uh, tumultuous city council in her So, Paris, I, mm-hmm. I want to get your thoughts on Alderman Brookins' political legacy. And also, if you can touch on, on Alderman Susan Sedlowski-Garza. Well, Susan Sedlowski-Garza, um, that was a bit of a surprise. She was kind of a leader of the progressive uh, caucus and city mm-hmm. council. She comes from a long line of... Uh, Union uh, folks. She was a uh, part of the CTU before. She, you know, was a, a staunch ally of Mayor Lightfoot. And then they had a fall. They passed a lot of legislation together. Then they had a falling out where uh, Garza said, I, "You know, I'm not, I can't vote for her." She she tends to tick off everybody she comes into contact with, although she didn't use the word tick. Uh, and so <laughs> I asked her, you know, what was this about? And she, she didn't really get into that. Um, but I agree with Alex. I think there's exhaustion. I think the last four years with COVID, with all the stuff that happened in 2020, with people meeting on Zoom all the time. A couple aldermen told me a, a lot of the fun had been taken away from the job because it's it's a serious job, but it's fun when you get to mix it up at committee meetings or council meetings, and and it's it's a beehive and it's buzzing, yeah. and people really enjoy that. And and a lot of that has been taken away. I do also think that you know um, you mentioned Brookins and his legacy. I think a lot of folks might have faced some tough reelection battles, and they didn't have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. And so there's going to be major change. Brookins, as Alex said. 
Um, you know, his legacy is, is being an institutional guy for his ward on the South Side. Uh, he, he he was a stalwart. Uh, he mentioned his legacy with Walmart. Um, and uh, he, he he tended to go along with Mayors Emanuel and Daly. He, he didn't he didn't ruffle a whole lot of feathers, but he had a ton of institutional knowledge. And and a lot of those sort of stalwarts, as Alex mentioned, are gone. And it, it man, oh, man, I if, if we saw a kind of. Um, maybe we thought we were going to see a return to council wars this time around. Yeah. We, we might really see it next time. Wow. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are going behind the headlines in the weekly news recap with Alex Nitkin, reporter for the Better Government Association, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight, Paris Schutz, and Laura Rodriguez-Pressa of the Chicago Tribune. A reminder that you can watch the weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can also, while you're there, leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in the YouTube chat box. I may just read what you have to say on the air. Now, here's a little bit of what Mayor Lightfoot had to say about these aldermanic departures. So the great resignation didn't pass us by. I think people are making uh, decisions about, again, what's in the best interest for them and their family. This is a tough environment to be an incumbent, to be a public servant. And many people are making the decision that um, it's time for them to move on and do something else. Laura, is, is this... As the mayor says, simply another example of the great resignation, because we've been seeing that a lot. Yeah, I definitely agree with Alex. It's it's a change. It's like this new normal, right? Life has changed after the pandemic. So it's no surprise that people, including the older men, older women, are just choosing a different path in life. Yeah. Let's hear the mayor's response to whether she might be contributing to this exodus. Look, I'm 60 years old. I'm not going to change who I am. Um, and um, I definitely um, will have and will continue to push people sometimes out of their comfort zone because that's what our residents are demanding of us. Alex, any thoughts on whether Lightfoot's personality is contributing to this changing of the guard? It is really interesting, and it's something that I keep coming back to what Paris just said, which is a refrain that we keep hearing over and over in different forms of this job just isn't fun anymore. And there are so many different <laughs> layers to that and ways to dissect it. I think that's something that you do hear a lot from Alderman, you know, generally off the record, is we just can't work as well with this mayor as we did yeah. with the previous mayors. The lines of communication are not there. The administration is not working with us as closely. They're sort of sapping our, our status. Um, I think a maybe more cynical retort to that that I've heard from some of the, the younger folks in the arena is that um, they, some of these aldermen who were elected 10, 15, 20 years ago are suddenly looking up and realizing that they have to be legislators, which right. was never really right. part of the deal. Classically, right. the job was that you were just a little mayor. You preside over your ward. You administer services, you know, give out turkeys on Thanksgiving, cut ribbons, and vote <laughs> uh, for <laughs> vote alongside the mayor. Nice, as easy long checklist. As, yeah, as long as the mayor <laughs> is taking care of you and your constituents. And now a lot of these, these aldermen are sort of realizing the shifting dynamics in the city council are such that the administration is administering the services, um, and aldermen have to do things like, develop policy and like form coalitions within yeah. the city council to get things done. And they're sort of like, well, this is not really what I thought the job was going to be when I started. Well, to that end, Laura, let's let's talk about what city council was actually working on this week, uh, starting with the ordinance that would protect abortion rights for out-of-state patients and providers. What are the details? Yeah, so the, the, the ordinance is pretty similar to or mirrored after the 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 ordinance of the sanctuary city, so it's it's not allowing uh, the Chicago police, the Chicago authorities to collaborate with federal government uh, to to share that information to protect people that come from out of state to to get an abortion, um, and and that would 
mainly, you know, like like we see with the immigrants, just not share any of that information to preside or, or uh, to to report any of uh, of of that activity. Yeah, Alex Alderman also had to make a decision this week on their pay raises. Fill us in on on that process and and how did it actually turn out? Yeah, so this is something that kind of surfaces in headlines every year or so um, based on. Uh, Inflation, the rule is that aldermen are able to, you know, just given a an opportunity to accept or deny um, a pay raise. It was obviously larger this year with inflation being hard, uh, larger. They had an opportunity for almost a 10 percent pay raise to get to a max uh, salary of uh, almost one hundred and forty three thousand um, dollars. It was, you know, pretty mixed. It always becomes a kind of political hot button. And then you have, you know, reliably the, the likes of Alderman Raymond Lopez saying like it's it's. Absurd. It's inconceivable that any alderman would accept uh, a pay raise. I think it's always, a, a, especially, you know, it's fraught a couple months before an election, but I think that it's always a sensitive uh, um, discussion that comes up because you could argue that, I mean, there is a staffing crisis across the city, including mm-hmm. in the city council, as yeah. we've been talking about. And if you want to get a broader quality and quantity of candidates running uh, for elected office, especially when they could be doing more lucrative things like being attorneys, um, the way to do that is by uh, paying them more money. And so at the end of the day, the couple thousand dollars extra that is going to go to them is is probably not going to make a whole lot of difference to um, the taxpayer, but it's more of a a political football and and you could argue could have a bearing on So who said no thanks to this nearly 10% Um, pay raise? It was... Lopez, as I try to bring it up here, um, it is, I do not. I mean, what, 15 of running them. Running for mayor. That's right. <laughs> Pretty much everyone running. He is running for mayor. I should have mentioned that. Right. Um, okay. So declining 15. Sorry that took me so long to find. 15 out of the 50 are declining a pay Jeez. increase. Um, a lot of them sort of the... You know, as I look at the list, a little younger, more ambitious. Um, and many of them folks. don't have other jobs. Uh, Most of them don't have other yeah, jobs. Yeah, right. And, uh, so this would hurt them more. I mean. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the folks who, the, the older people who were asked why they accepted the job, they say, look, this is like an 80-hour-a-week, you know, 24-7 job. I'm That's getting texted in the middle of the night by my police commander about a shooting or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and I... My con- my constituents know that I I deserve this and I'm gonna take it. And you can't at a certain point you can't really fault them for that. But Laura, is it just me? I I wonder what it would be like to decide my own pay raise. Well, I really think that a lot of them do it. Incredible. Follow- well, a lot of them do it. I think following what they what they promise their their constituents, right? Like the people they serve. So sticking to whatever promise they made and, and assuming that their people are not getting an, a, a pay increase and they, they don't accept it. But yeah. I, I have to say, the, there were legislators several years ago that I they made a big show of, I am not taking my pay increase. And then after the fact, they they, they, they finagled a way to get their pay increase. I'm not saying that that's what, what aldermen are going to do here, but it's all politics and optics. You know, At the end you, of the day. You want to yeah. look like you're you're with the folks. You know, I'm, I'm turning it down. I'm, I'm cutting, in the trenches with so you. Maybe right, not right, now. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just like you. Right. (laughs) We're back now with more Reset. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. If you're just tuning in, it's our weekly news recap, where we make sense of the week's top local and state stories. Now, before the break, we took a close look at the changing of the guard at City Council, but there is much more to get to. 
A new report finds nearly 900 Illinois residents are linked to the far-right group The Oath Keepers, including law enforcement officers and military members. More than 100 migrants are spending their first night in Chicago. They are the largest group sent from Texas so far. The city has received around 228 migrants, the majority from Venezuela. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot says the city will welcome them, but remains critical of Governor Abbott. Our panel today is Laura Rodriguez-Presa, who covers the Latino community for the Chicago Tribune, Alex Nitkin, reporter for the Better Government Association, and Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Remember that if you are watching us online right now on WBEZ's Facebook or YouTube pages, feel free to leave us a comment or question. Talk to us in the YouTube chat box. I may just read what you have to say on the air, like this comment from a viewer who says, I love that Chicago is a sanctuary city for migrants seeking refuge. So let's dive into that story, Lara. A third group of migrants, they arrived in the city on Wednesday from Texas. So start with the most recent arrivals and tell us how many people were there and what do we know about them? Yeah, so the most recent one was this this last Wednesday, and it was about 150 people, um, three buses, mostly uh, families this time. And um, they have been arriving to Union Station just like the very first group. Uh, the only difference is that this time the the city and the local organizations are a little bit more ready to be there and pick them up rather than kind of like act, you know, rapid response. So, mm-hmm. so that's the only big difference. Um, they've been taken all to the Salvation Army, to that shelter. That is where they uh, are housed uh, initially until they find um, a little bit more of a quote-unquote permanent shelter until they get connected to the resources. So what other sort of help are they getting once they get here? Yeah, so once they get checked in, um, they, they do have a sort of like a uh, a council, so they get so uh, they need to find out exactly what help they need. A lot of them, it's important to know that are getting here to reunite with families that are in different states or maybe in different parts of Illinois. Okay. So because they don't have an option to get sent to whatever state they have the family at, then they get help from the it's organization New York, DC, here. Chicago. Those are the three states where the where they're being sent to from Texas. But these people come to meet people all over the country. All so Alabama, a lot of them are meeting uh, people in Atlanta. Like they just know people. So that helps a little bit because then Obviously, the the our you know the city government doesn't have to to yeah. care for them in terms of figuring out where they'll go next. And take us back, Laura. Most of the migrants, if it's my understanding, that most of the ones who arrived in these pat this past week, they're coming from Venezuela. Yes, most mostly yeah. actually all the all the migrants that have arrived are mostly from Venezuela. Any sense of why they left? Are of they course. talking? Yeah, yeah, no, they they all share the same story, right? They're they're um, fleeing extreme poverty. Um, and in, in, in the government of a dictatorship, they say, right, that that doesn't allow them to the opportunity to to find a better job uh, to feed their families. A lot of them just talk about how even with the job that they have, um, they can't feed their families. So they choose to make that uh, almost three month trip from Venezuela, crossing different borders Goodness. to finally get to Texas. And and when we speak about why they're being sent, you know, the fact that they're being sent to Washington, New York and Chicago, they actually have no idea about the politics behind it. I'm sure they don't. You've been following this as well, Alex? Yeah, it's just really it, it's it seems kind of silly on one level and obviously very sad that 
people who, you know, I actually, I, I lived in Venezuela for a year as an exchange oh, student did you? after high school. Yeah. And got a real sense of, I, I mean, things had not gotten nearly as bad as they are now, but just of living under a very re- different, restricted kind of society and, yeah. and made a lot of friends and loved a lot of people there who would, I would love to be able to see back up and, and join us. And just the fact that there is someone in Governor Abbott who sees these these people as as like just like a burden or a liability or like here you take them um, is a little bit hard to, to wrap my head around. But, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be following with with Laura's reporting and seeing what happens next. It can't be lost, though. It's all politics. And it's unfortunate people are being yeah. used as a political football. Governor Abbott is facing reelection in Texas, maybe a tight reelection uh, with Beto O'Rourke. And he's been doing this. And this is the kind of thing that he calculates uh, will rile up the base mm-hmm. um, and gets him headlines and gets him on Fox News. And that's his calculation. But it doesn't seem like he's really thinking about the welfare. And these are people seeking asylum. These are not, you know, they're not quote unquote illegal, you know. So um, you would think. Based on the treatment, this they're. I mean, they're, uh, uh, Laura, you know better than yeah. it, but they're following the the protocol. So and the law, yes, they're they're allowed. They're paroled country. into this country, so they're allowed in. Right, they turn themselves into yeah. immigration. That is the reason why they are in in right. here. The only difference, though, is that obviously they're not given like some, any sort of permit to be here, uh, to work here. So that is the tricky part, right? When you are trying to help them set here or settle anywhere, mm-hmm. the the difference is that they, they don't have that permit. So that is Could more... Could that come down the line? Yes, 100%. But they need to apply for asylum, you know, start their case. And, and that means that they need uh, longer-term support. We're talking about one to three years until they finally get, yeah. uh, you know, official, until they're officially uh, refugees here and they have a permit and they have everything settled. So for that, they need a lot of... Uh, legal support and a lot of financial support too and for some of them it's like we've talked to I've talked to so many um, activists and, and advocates overall and the reality is is that like you know Paris mentioned they are people they are being sort of you, you know used and and that is the very sad part but the, the thing is that this country has seen immigrants uh, you know for all the time and 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 they just need to help each other is settled here and that that's kind of probably what will happen you know they're not going to be given permanent housing by the state or federal right. government uh, what they are doing now is just equipping them to kind of like make sure that they have enough uh, information and resources of how things work here for them and, and then they can figure it out well we've mentioned texas governor greg abbott a, a couple of times in this conversation laura what is the latest on that feud between him and our mayor Lightfoot. Uh, the mayor Lori Lightfoot has been very vocal about how much she's against what uh, what the uh, Abbott is doing, right? And has uh, has been very critical of that of, of that work. And I I just know that she was in Washington. Um, I believe this past was it yesterday. I know she posted a picture with. Uh, oh, I saw the President selfie with Biden. Biden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that she's in conversations to to seek for more federal funding. Um, but overall, it's just you know this general statements of, of how she she doesn't agree with with the way uh, he he's dealing with that, and that she will continue welcoming um, uh, immigrants uh, migrants. I'm sorry, as they 
as they arrive. And I do know, for example, right now they are at Union Station Mm -hmm. uh, waiting for what they expect to be a larger group to arrive um, from from Texas right now. I should just and we mentioned the politics of Governor. There's a political aspect here for Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot. This is an opportunity of Governor Pritzker in a reelection, not a not a tight reelection. Yeah, mayoral election, right? So it it, and so it gives them the opportunity to to look compassionate. and to, to you know tout their bona fides of, of fostering a welcoming city like that. Although there was this report that that some of the migrants are going to Burritz now, that, yes. but it's because there's yeah. a welcoming center there. And it's- uh, you know, here's the thing. So from uh, the, we've requested information as to why they were being sent there, as we have requested information about what are the steps that they're following. Um, they we haven't gotten much information, and I think that that's because it, it's still like they are still state city are still in a rapid response sort of. Mm mode right as they arrive because it's this is a total of uh, now uh, over 300 maybe people that have arrived in chicago a lot of them are family so they need uh, you know a a lot of help Um, well well, speaking of help i want to throw a question at you from dell on twitter asking as a medical student will they have any medical services provided or will it be up to community groups to make sure that they have their health needs addressed yeah so the organizations uh, that are collaborating with the city to welcome them um, include Esperanza health Center and other uh, other health centers that are providing health screenings and they are giving them appointments to follow up with them and whatever they may okay. need um, going back to the Burridge situation um, I went out there yesterday we didn't get a reason as to why they were over there but I, I do know that they are keeping them there as uh, they wait to connect these families to more resources. I see. Why Burridge? I don't know. Um, and we do know for, that the mayor of Burridge issued a statement saying that he had no knowledge or consultation from city or state staff uh, as to, you know, yeah. that letting him or letting his administration know that they were being sent there. Alex, how do you think this could play out during Chicago's upcoming mayoral election? I think that during the mayoral election, most of the candidates are going to be of one mind generally. I mean, I think that within the city itself, there's probably not a whole lot of debate. That's This is one issue where I think most, um, most candidates of, of different stripes will probably rally around the mayor, an exception might be some of the more police allied. Um, you know, I think Raymond Lopez has had some more hardline, um, not anti-immigration, but but uh, pro, you know, ICE sort of connecting with crime kind mm-hmm. of things. So I don't I, I, I tend to think that this is something that is disconnected enough from, you know, Chicagoans. Immigration is not something that we it tends to be on the top of our Minds, it's more, you know, cost of living and transportation and crime and things that affect us directly. Some um, of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some of us. I, that's right. Um, but this is all a way of saying I, I don't see it as being much of a political wedge. I would or I would add, argue or add that once people start questioning where the funds are coming from to support these migrants as they arrive, it will be something that will be probably a priority that's a great point. Yeah. I, I should also add that the city council created a new committee, um, I think two years ago now, the Committee on Immigrant and Refugee, Refugee Rights. This was a big um, sort of accomplishment and project of Mayor Lightfoot. Um, it has since met uh, twice yeah. and it has not met in more than a year. Um, you would think this could be a good opportunity for 
uh, yeah. the city council to actually get involved and start talking about it. Well, uh, Shamrock Blue on YouTube says uh, the homeless encampment in Uptown that's being shut down today in favor of a bird sanctuary is bad optics, even though I love birds in the sanctuary idea. All right, switching gears before we take a pause, Paris. A new report from the Anti-Defamation League has some alarming news about the number of Illinoisans who are members of the far-right Oath Keepers. Who are they? Well, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting story. It's about 900 folks uh, in Illinois that uh, were on the membership rolls of the Oath Keepers. Now, this got leaked to the Anti-Defamation League. And the big takeaway here is uh, there are members of this group from all over the country, every single state, the blue states, the red states. Now, the ADL is not naming who these people are, and for good reason. Now, remember the debate about the gang database in Chicago. Sometimes people wrongly end up on that database, and, and it, it hurts their lives. They can't get a job. They can't get a house to rent or something like that. So, so the ADL is being very careful to say, well— all we know is these people are on the membership rolls, so they signed up one day to get information, and maybe they didn't know what the Oath Keepers were. Maybe mm-hmm. they were curious. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe when they learned what the Oath Keepers really were, um, they the, then they weren't into it. But the other alarming thing is the Oath Keepers targets law enforcement, and there are many folks in law enforcement uh, on this list. There are many uh, ex-service members from the military on this list. And then there are many, there are some folks that are in elected office. Yeah. Uh, some county level folks uh, in Illinois uh, that are on this. We don't know. This list is before the insurrection, by the way. Are you and surprised we, by these numbers? No, not at all. I mean, if, if, if we saw what we saw on January 6th, yeah. I mean, this this is an issue that's been percolating. It's not just the Oath Keepers. It's, it's an anti-government uh, right wing based on conspiracy theories and, and uh, a desire for a more authoritarian type of system and not a democracy because you saw what happened on January 6th. The leader of the Oath Keepers is now on trial for seditious conspiracy. So I don't know what they don't know is is has that hurt membership in groups like this? Are they are they dying as a result of this or are they recharging and regenerating and getting even even bigger as a result? Speculation is they might might be mm. um, recruiting more members. So that's something that uh, ADL and a lot of other groups like uh, the U of C has a, has a big uh, um, um, center that's studying this as well. Interesting. We're still live right now on Facebook and YouTube for those who prefer to watch. Are we ready for some football, gang? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this Sunday is the Bears' home opening game at Soldier Field. Just in time, we get a peek into what the Bears have planned for an Arlington Heights stadium. What does it look like, Paris? Well, it's just a big... Uh, I saw some sketches. Yeah, it doesn't look like much right now, but uh, it's going to look like a big sort of entertainment center. It's going to be a big giant dome and closed stadium that they said. And then mixed-use development, there's a metro station right there. They're going to have a hotel. They're going to have a music venue. It looks really ideal, and that means uh, that... Uh, Sounds great. Know, How much does it cost? It's yeah. going to cost a couple, <laughs> couple bucks. And couple who's bucks. paying? Who's paying Five for billion. Dollars. Well, the McCaskey family is not paying for the whole thing, and they All made right. a point of saying last night... the McCaskey Caskies, of course, are the owners. They said we're just a, we're just a, you know, we're just a football team. Or we're a family business. Well, they 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 own a business that's worth multiple billion dollars. But just a little mom and pop. Yeah, we're a just a mom, little pop mom and business. pop. But no, they they can't afford to finance this, so they need institutional investors, and they also need public fu- help, public financing. And they said, oh. Yes. They said we need money for everything but the stadium. The stadium, we get it. The politics are such that no one's going to support taxpayer money to help us build our stadium. But we've got these homes and these condos and these other buildings. We're going to need infrastructure help. You know, it's up to taxpayers to pay for the roads and the sewers and all that. So they need that help. Um, I would say this is a done deal unless they can't get the financing together. But I talked to some like institutional people in the, in the whole banking world and they're like, 
this is this is a people want to invest in this. If you're a bank, if you're an institutional investor, this this is a huge. This is a gold mine. This is, a gold mine. This is the Chicago Bears. Uh, this is a huge brand in Chicago, and so people are lining up to be a part of it. So I would say it's a done deal. And, and Mayor Lightfoot, um, I, I, yeah. I don't. But I've made the point over and over again. They don't want to stay at Soldier Field. They're renting it from the Park District. It's 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 not a modern enough stadium to compete with the other stadiums. They want their own stadium. The well, only... well, let's hear what the mayor okay. has to say about that because she's still hoping to keep the Bears at Soldier Field. We're going to continue our discussions with the league. Um, but as you know, I'm some, somebody who likes to plan. So we've got plan B, plan C, um, and others um, in the works as well if the Bears decide that they're going to abandon the city of Chicago. So, Paris, it sounds like you don't think the likelihood of the Bears moving to the Burbs is... Oh, it's... it's. Oh, you think that's happening? It's, a, it's happening. It's happening unless they can't get the financing. They, this is too good to pass up. I mean, they, they, they and they want control of their own destiny, which they do not have with Soldier Field. They're at the mercy of the Park District and Mayor Lightfoot, with whom they clash a lot. So I was saying, the, the only chance that the city of Chicago has is to give them a giant piece of land to let them build their dream stadium... There's the 78. That's a giant piece of land in an awesome location. Maybe the developer there could work with the Bears. There's the old U.S. Steel site, the Southwark site, right on the lakefront uh, in South Shore. Huge site. Uh, and I don't see any evidence that the, the mayor's office is working with the team, unless you do, Alex, or any older people are saying, hey, let's find another solution, because they do not want to stay at Soldier Field. It's not going to happen, whether you dress it up with a roof or not. And I don't <laughs> think that those plans are realistic anyway. Um they're gone. Uh, and, and I think the fans understand. It's The fan reaction so far has yeah, been pretty so, positive. Yeah, so how are Arlington Heights residents feeling, though? Well, uh, we you know, we had a smattering of them last night. Are they night. like, yes? I think most of them are like, this is Come cool. Come on, traffic. This, this is great. No, we're worried about the traffic. I, th- I think a slight majority of them don't want to have taxpayer money help this. Yeah. And they are worried about the traffic. But we spoke to a lot that were so super enthusiastic. We love the Bears. We want them in our backyard. Now, with with these things, you know, teams in, employ a lot of PR help, and maybe maybe that's generating some of the positive feedback mm, that they're be. getting. But it seemed like the feedback was more positive than negative. I don't think they're going to get a lot of resistance to go there. They're just going to get resistance to having public money help them. Yeah. They could sell parking and $2 Gatorades right outside the stadium. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> How big of a deal do you all think this is if the Bears move to the suburbs? Any thoughts, Laura? I haven't been to a game yet, but I've been wanting to. <laughs> I would love to go to one before they leave to Arlington just because it's like down the street, right, um, here yeah. in, in the city. And I think that's I think that's why people don't want them to go because they're like, you know, last Chicago Bears, so they're here in, in Chicago. They're not going to be in Chicago anymore. Yeah, it's it's kind of... Can we still call them the yeah, Chicago right. Bears? Well, that's what Mayor, Jay da- Mayor Richard J. Daly... Look at every New York team. They, the Bears threatened to move to the suburbs, and he said, well, then you're going to have to call them the Arlington Bears. You can't, you can't call them the Chicago Bears anymore. <laughs> right. and, uh, but the Chicago Bears of Arlington Heights. Like of Arlington. Of Arlington. <laughs> right. But All right. Know, it's cool that we had the distinction uh, in the city of Chicago having every major pro sports team within the city limits, and that's going to be sad yeah. to lose. Let's get the buzz on something else. Cannabis. Social equity <laughs> advocates held a press thank you. Social equity advocates held a press conference Wednesday and had some harsh words for the state. Here's what cannabis business operator Ambrose Jackson, who's CEO of the 1937 group, here's what he had to say. Governor Pritzker and Illinois legislators, our cannabis social equity program is on the verge of collapse. And who's being hurt? It's us, the very people who this program was meant to help. 
Yeah, we haven't talked about this in a little bit, Alex. Bring us up to speed. What are the main obstacles they're facing? Yeah, just a little bit of context behind this is that it has now been two and a half years since the legalization of, you know, weed sales in Illinois. And as the law was designed, it was it was meant to give people of color, entrepreneurs of color, a huge leg, not, you know, ability to really get a foothold in the industry like they haven't been in other states. And here we are two and a half years later, the um, what's called social equity licenses designed to uh, help diversify the, the industry had been held up in court for so long. And finally, just within the last couple of months, the um, uh, IDFPR and the Pritzker administration issued, I think it's 185 new dispensary licenses. But, you know, all this time later, the industry has really gotten uh, going. There's been so much consolidation and buildup. Um, interest rates are, are so much higher now. And suddenly these um, uh, these entrepreneurs who have just been sort of waiting in purgatory, in some cases losing a lot of money while they're waiting for this to get settled, need to build out their uh, their locations. And they need they need investors. And so this um, group in the uh, uh, Illinois Cannabis Equity uh, uh, Coalition, um, a big thing that they were talking about is that there is so much red tape within the system already yeah. that they're not allowed to change their ownership structures. They're not allowed to take on equity investors. Um, so that's until, one change that they would like to see for sure. That's right. They want to. They want to be able to see equity investors come on. Of course, then from the administration, they're saying, "Well, then, how do you know that you know a wealthy white business won't take a whole bunch of equity, and then suddenly it's not a, a minority-owned business anymore?" So yeah. it's it's very difficult. It's kind of a catch twenty-two that they're stuck in, where they can't get a license until they get more Can't investments. This is still but they happening. This is still, still. a and, thing. Uh, it's it's really just a, like I got to Chicago almost two years ago, and this was like one of the first yeah. things I covered here on on Reset. And I mean, it's really uh, it feels like the needle just has not moved, and it's just an embarrassment and a black mark for the the Pritzker administration, which was really centered its legalization push around equity, and we were going to be the one state that was going to get it right. And here we are, you know, almost three years later, and there's not a, yeah. a single um, black owned dispensary. But you also see, you know, you see the people that won the licenses, and then they're turning around, and I mean, eventually this is all going to be gobbled up by these big pot conglomerates that yeah. that, that right. exist, you know, and it's yeah. not going to be the mom-pa thing right. that I mean, that's where the incentives are for them, for right. sure. I mean, right. if no, you're facing I, all these barriers... If you got the license can... and you're facing these barriers, why not sell and make millions of dollars? Right. Yeah. Well, Lara, you covered a deadly altercation at a marijuana dispensary this week. Quickly tell us what happened there. I did. I normally don't cover, you know, like daily violence, but that was something that I, that just kind of uh, happened this Monday after we came back from... Uh, the long weekend. Um, it was a, a man approached a security guard at a marijuana dispensary with an axe and was like, just, uh, you know, threatening him. And so that led to an altercation and the security guard was armed. He, he shot uh, at the at the at the man that was um, uh, trying to hurt him. And mm-hmm. and, and then the, the, the man passed away. This was in Greek town. This it? was in Greek town. Yeah. Wow, um, and, and there's no there's still no reason and no exact reason as to why or how that was, uh, you know, the, the man approached the security guard. Jeez. Well, I got to jump on this before we we wrap up today. Two new COVID vaccines are here available this week in Chicago. What's different about these vaccines, Paris? Well, these are are ones uh, specifically designed to treat the BA5 and BA4 variant, which is the like overwhelmingly dominant strain right now Mm because that strain was found to not be very resistant to the old vaccine. So the city's got something like 150,000 doses. There's a couple hundred thousand uh, more uh, across the state. And, you know, the reality is that, uh, 
you know, we're going to have to get boosters every year. Uh, so it, is this going to be like the flu vaccine? Yeah, I, it, it, it certainly seems that way. And, and I, I don't know what the participation rate is going to be. With the, It seems like people have just kind of fallen off. Yeah. Um, what do you I, think, Alex? Do you think people are going to go out and get another COVID vaccine? I really hope so. I mean, I'm one of those who I, it was like Christmas morning for me. I was refreshing and waiting for the next appointment to come up. And uh, <laughs> I, got mine, I got mine in the books and it was actually pretty easy, which I guess is not a good sign for how many people. Want yeah, right I don't, I don't yeah, think but, um, so. I don't think people are following up with it. Yeah. I mean, I again, I really hope Time that they will, will for all yeah. of our sake, but I just, I just want those sweet antibodies. Get them in me. So <laughs> almost time to go, folks. But as we wrap up, I'm wondering what stories you think really stuck out to you this week. Maybe something that surprised you or that you thought was underreported? Quick rapid fire. You yeah. first. Uh, A.D. Quigg in the Tribune had this fascinating story about the Obama Presidential Center and how they have really high salaries yes. for these <laughs> folks, way higher than other nonprofits. And really? at some point they're going to build that center. But at this point, I don't really know what they do there. So I thought she, she went and dug up uh, the salaries in $300,000, dollars Wow, it's good work if you I can get that it. One. Oh, it's a great story. Great story. That was A.D.? I'll, AD. I'll have to AD. check that out. Yeah. What about you, Alex? Well, one thing that I don't know that it was necessarily undercovered, but one thing that, that we didn't talk about here was um, uh, Congressman Chuy Garcia mm. making yes, a big splash, I was kind say of that, yeah. sending this kind of he oblique stole yours? press release. Yes. <laughs> Think of another one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. He said this kind of oblique, oblique press right. release, being like, I'm going to make a big announcement. <laughs> and, 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 and then it wasn't, yeah. And it's um, not what you think it's going to be. Because then he, he just announced some aldermanic endorsements. And I think that it's going to be, I'm going to be re- really watching, even if he, he doesn't. Yeah. Um, run. He. It, I'm going to be watching what he does, who he endorses, because he kind of whiffed on his. So you're just um, going to be stalking him for the next little bit. Oh, sure. To see yeah. what he does. Yeah, I'm sure he will. <laughs> I've got his number. Let's call him right Me now. Too. <laughs> Laura, anything yeah, else? Yeah, well, I think I, I can go back to the alderman and alderwoman leaving. I think that's something to look into yeah. is who's going to take over those. Uh, those areas. Um, a lot of, I've seen a lot of people, you know, in, in um, Lopez's word, like there's this very young progressive woman that's making a lot of noise there. So very interested in, in, in finding out who's going to take over. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I mainly, obviously, am a very uh, familiar with the Latino, pre- predominantly Latino communities, but mm-hmm. like Cardenas is leaving from that little village yeah. area too. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see how not only will the politics change, but how those yeah. uh, the communities will change mm-hmm. as well. That's it for the Weekly News Recap. My thanks to Laura Rodriguez-Pressa, Alex Nitkin, and Paris Schutz. Thank you, folks. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank, Thank you. you.